Welcome to you. It's great to see all of you. I thought it would be a good idea for you to meet Copper today. So there's Copper. He's five months old now. And that was his first day at the beach. And he loved it. He ran all over the place. And you just have to love that face. See, uh, what I like about Copper is I say to Copper, Copper, you're a good dog. And he wags his tail and says, say more, Dad. And I say, Copper, you're a dirty, rotten, stinking dog. And he wags his tail and says, say more, Dad. So that's what I like about a pup. So he's doing good. Um, you know, depending on who you talk to. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, him in our little trailer, and he chews everything, absolutely everything. So if um, Carolyn comes to church sometime with shoes that are all chewn up, it's copper that did it, not me. I also want to say she's not here in this service, but you see balloons out there and flowers in the lobby at a birthday party here yesterday for Esther Jabs, and she... Uh, she was 90 years old yesterday. And uh, how many times do you come to church and she's the first and you shake. And she came here in 1978, just 10 years after the church got started. And she's been on the staff since the mid-90s. And um, she kind of takes the lead with all of our older people and if uh, someone goes in the hospital, she lets me know. And if there's somebody I want to know about, I call Esther and she fills me in. She is just a delight. She's almost never absent from staff meeting. And she just does such a great job. We are delighted to have her. And I'm. she's been a great help to me in the time I've been here. It's been great to know her. And it's been great to celebrate her 90th birthday. Our prayer is for 10 more. Okay? So, we have to talk about the feeding of the 5,000 today. This miracle, along with the resurrection itself, is the only one that appears in all four Gospels. Uh, you have to go to other Gospels on the other miracles. In fact... Next week, we'll actually preach the miracle out of the Gospel of Matthew because it is a fuller understanding of that miracle. But, uh, but this one is in all four Gospels. It's an important miracle because it brings us to the reality of Jesus doing the impossible. So the seemingly impossible is overcome by Christ. And that's what we want to talk about today. So let's bow together and commit our time to God. Father, we thank you that you are the God of the impossible. You are the creator. We have sung this morning about your grace, your love, your mercy. We are thankful today, Father, that you have given to us the opportunity to have a relationship with you. You've done that through your son, Jesus. And when Jesus was on earth, Father, 
He proved himself time and time again. And uh, we rest in Jesus today. He, he may not be on earth in the sense that he's here physically like he was then during the time of this miracle. But he's on earth nonetheless, living in all of us. And uh, we thank you today, Father, that we can come to you with any circumstance that comes into our lives. And we can depend upon you to bring solution to that circumstance. So today, Father, as we look at this text, we pray that you will bless us through it and grow us a little more. And we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I I am impressed with is how Last week, Pastor Tom uh, dovetailed with this message. He used a different text. He used different words. He used different illustrations. But I thought he was preaching today's sermon by the time it was over. And I'm even going to quote him today because, uh, because it was so well dovetailed with the reality of this. I have to start by telling you a story And I may have already told it to you. I don't keep track of these illustrations that I use. Um, But um, I have to tell you a story because it was a story that changed our lives. And it's a story that illustrates the impact of this text this morning. When I was in college, I was in Fresno, California for a while. I don't like Fresno, California. I affectionately call it. Sheol. In the summertime, it's 120 degrees in the shade, 110 degrees in the shade, but there's no shade. And so, uh, uh, and I was in college there. I had a wife and two babies, uh, which I still have, except the babies are not babies anymore. One is 52. Uh, and, um, I worked, I went to school during the day. I worked at night for a custodial service that went around town cleaning doctor's offices. And in the meantime, I slept someplace, uh, somewhere, sometime. And uh, I would go to work at night and I would clean a doctor's office, move to the next one. And I had certain offices I was responsible for cleaning, and I would clean them. When I was done cleaning them, I could go home. Sometimes that was uh, late. Sometimes it was early, depending on what the office looked like that day. On one evening, I got in a hallway with a buffer, and something happened, and I hurt my back. I, I hurt it badly. And I went to, um, I went home that night. I, next morning I got on my little motorcycle. I drove a, a Honda S90 back and forth to school and to work. And, uh, I got on my little motorcycle. I went to school. I got out of a class and my back hurt so bad I didn't know what to do. I decided I'm going to go lie on the grass. And I went out of the, uh, on campus and I laid down on the grass and that was it. I couldn't get up. That ended up in me ending up in the hospital for a long time. And uh, turned out then that I lost that job because I couldn't work. Uh, 
and we were without a job and the rent was overdue and and uh, I got out of the hospital and started looking for a job and we were eating some very strange things because we didn't have much to eat. In fact, we were concerned about our children getting enough protein for a while. And uh, uh, then the job opened up, the custodial job opened up at uh, Memorial Baptist Church in Fresno, our conservative Baptist church. Pastor Don Baker was the pastor. And he and I often say it was at that point he became my mentor. And I became the janitor of Memorial Baptist Church. It had 21 toilets and urinals. I know. (laughs) And uh, uh, so I went to work there, and I hadn't gotten a paycheck yet. Carolyn had done a little work for Kelly Girl, but we were behind in every way. And most especially, we didn't have much food to eat. We didn't talk to anybody. We prayed a lot. And... uh, So one day I'm working, it's a Wednesday, and I'm pushing a push broom across the floor, sweeping the floor. And there was a business card on the floor, and that stupid broom would not move that card. It kept going over that card. Now, see, a guy who's not lazy would reach down and pick up the thing and throw it in the trash. But I was lazy, and I pushed it, and I pushed it, and I pushed it. And I slammed the broom on the floor, and I pushed it some more, and it still wouldn't move. And finally, I had to get over my laziness, reach down and pick it up. And it was a business card of a missionary, a single woman whom I've never met, whose name I don't remember. And I turned the card over, and there was Jeremiah 32:27. And Jeremiah 32:27 says, Behold, and you might remember... Jeremiah did some complaining to God. And God said to Jeremiah, Behold, I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. The reason he said the God of all flesh, because he had to remind Jeremiah he was the creator. He had to remind Jeremiah that he, he was created by God. He had to remind Jeremiah that when he looked up into the sky and saw the planets and the stars, it was God that did that. The God of all flesh. And then with a certain kind of sarcasm, God says, is anything too hard for me? And if Carolyn and I have a a verse, a, a family marriage verse, this is our passage. Because I got so excited realizing that God could take care of us. He could do the impossible. I threw my broom down. I took the card in my pocket. I got on my S90. I ran home and I said to Carolyn, look at this. God is going to take care of us. That was Wednesday. Wednesday night was prayer meeting. The prayer meeting broke up and people are standing around talking and I'm standing against the back wall in the back parking lot where it's 110 degrees in the shade. And I'm waiting for the people to leave so I can lock up. And this guy walks over to me. We knew him. And he said, Rich, you know, I work for Chef Boyardee. I said, yeah. He said, well, I've got a few cans of food that are either dented 
or don't have labels on them. And I wonder if you know anybody that could use them. Well, by that time, my pride was gone. And I said, absolutely, Carolyn and I can use them. And I said, I'll come over to your car and get them. No, he said, I'll bring my car over to your car. He brought his car over to our car. And uh, I had the car that night. And it was we had a 1960 Chevy. And he started putting this food in the trunk of my car. Case after case after case after case. And when it was done, he opened up the back doors and he put some in the back seats. And we had so much food, we didn't know what to do with it. And a year later, when I'm when we moved to Portland, for me to go to graduate school at Western, we moved some of that Chef Boyardee. It became a joke with our children. It became a game with our children. What's in this can, I wonder? And Carolyn would open it up and it'd be spaghetti. What's in this can? And it'd be raviolis and all kinds of strange things because they didn't have any labels on it. Uh, It became the point in history that Carolyn and I would look back to and say, God can take care of this situation because he took care of that one. We can remember what God did then so we can trust God now. That's precisely what Pastor Tom told us last week. I'll quote him in a little while. So let's take a look at our text. This is a passage that is recorded in all four Gospels. There's different views about the feeding of the 5,000. Some think it... uh, it just happened in the hearts of the people, and there was no real feeding here. I don't believe that. Some think this was a sacramental meal or a token meal where Jesus took the fish and the bread and broke it up in little bitty pieces and gave everybody uh, maybe eight or 10,000 people. We know the count is 5,000, but they only counted the men. We don't know how many women and children were there. There might have been eight or 10,000. And I don't know how small you have to break up five little loaves and two fishes to make up a little bit for everybody to get some. We, I don't believe that either. And I'll show you why in just a little bit. I believe it's an actual occurrence. And so let's take a look at our text. Therefore, Jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him said to Philip, why did he pick Philip? I think he picked Philip because Philip was, uh, we know from chapter 1 of John, verse 44, he was from Bethsaida. And as a result, uh, Philip would know the area. So he said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now, the next two statements I cannot impress on you strongly enough. So I want you to underline them, circle them, highlight them, whatever you have to do, because these, I believe, become the heart of what is happening in this text. The next statement is, this he was saying to test Philip, to test 
Philip. The Greek word is pyrodzo, pyrodzo, I mean, pyrodzo. And, and it's a word that originally meant to pierce or to search out. And then in the etymology of the word over time, it came to mean to try or to test, to try something or test something. Remember last week, Pastor Tom was talking about Abraham in Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, uh, 17, it says that Abraham was tested. And this is the very word that is used there. So Jesus is testing Philip. And I think sometimes God tests us. He tested Abraham. He tested Philip. And I think sometimes God is checking up to see how strong our faith is. I think sometimes God allows circumstances to come into our lives to test us along the way. But I want you to see this next statement because it is incredibly important here. He was saying this to test him, for he himself, Jesus, knew what he was intending to do. See, Jesus had it solved all along. Jesus knew what was going to happen here. He knew the boy's name. He knew how many fish he had. He knew how many loaves he had. And Jesus knew precisely what he was going to do with those. See, God knew about Chef Boyardee stuff all along. I just had to fit into God's plan. I had to find out what God wanted to do, not what I wanted to do. See, because we have a tendency to fix things ourselves. That's precisely what Pastor Tom said last week. We have a tendency to want to fix it by ourselves and not look to see what it is that God wants to do. And Jesus already knew what he was intending to do here. And then it says this. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. Now, a denarii was a Roman coin uh, equal to what then would have been a blue-collar day's wage equal to what now would be about 18 cents. So it didn't take much. You didn't get paid much in those days. Uh, Denarii has been around a long time. In fact, in most uh, Islam cultures today, they still use a dinar. And uh, in in Italy... uh, uh, they they used uh, denaro, and uh, Spanish dinero has been around for a long time. As a result, this word still impact impacted the money culture in in our own world. And so uh, uh, Philip gives him his answer. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him. There is a lad here, lad, um, uh, piderion, the word is. It's the only place it's used in the entire New Testament. It's, uh, it's, this is a unique word for a unique situation. 
Uh, and that's why it's translated lad. It's not translated little boy or anything like that. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fishes. But what are these for so many people? Uh, so let's take a look then at the response of the test. Remember we said Philip is being tested by Jesus. What does Jesus want to know? Jesus wants to know how strong is Philip's faith? How well does Philip know me, Jesus, when he's going to give his answer? See, Philip needed only to look at the situation to know that it was impossible to complete the task. Philip, this his very statement is created so that we catch the hopelessness of the situation. Eight or ten thousand people, and the only food there is on the lot is five loaves and two fishes. And the loaves probably weren't very big. They were, they were probably small for a little boy's lunch. And as a result, it's impossibility. Overhearing this conversation is Andrew. And Andrew is hearing what's going on here. And uh, he pipes up. And uh, Andrew says, well, there's a lad here. And he has five loaves and two fish. And then almost uh, sarcastically, he laughs at his own suggestion and says, but what is that among so many uh, you know, we do that, don't we? We say, well, there's this much in the church budget, and this is what we have to do. <laughs> we could never do it with that much money <laughs> because uh, we're not trusting what we know of our Redeemer. And uh, uh, so uh, Andrew is the one who, these guys are interested, they're sincere, uh, they're honest about this. But Philip brings to this a practical unbelief. You can't feed all these people. Andrew brings to this a hopeless unbelief that even though there is food on the place, you can't use it. It's not enough. Isn't it interesting that Andrew seems to constantly be bringing people to Jesus? You know where we find Andrew? We find Andrew in John chapter 1. And uh, he's standing on the street corner with John the Baptist because he's one of John's disciples. And John the Baptist sees Jesus maybe crossing the street. I don't know. And he says, uh, there goes uh, the Son of God who will save his people from their sins, the Savior of the world. And Andrew leaves John and follows Jesus and finds out that he's the Messiah. And Andrew runs back to his brother Peter and brings Peter to Jesus and introduces Peter for the first time to the Messiah. I have a sermon I preached a hundred years ago entitled uh, The Second Fiddle. And it's about Andrew because uh, you don't hear much in the scriptures about Andrew, but you hear so much about Peter. But it was Andrew who brought Peter to Jesus. And uh, God does that with us as well. 
sometimes. So let's look at the reason for the text. The reason we've already said is that Jesus wanted to check on Philip's faith. Jesus wanted to check on Philip's faith. But here comes the issue. God wants, he always wants all of us to apply what we know of the Savior to every situation that comes along. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. He wants us to remember back to the Chef Boyardee. And it might be something completely different in your life, in your family, in your home. He wants us to remember because God knows it's hard for us to remember. Why do you, let me ask you some questions. Why do you think politicians do and say stupid things? You know why? Because they know you won't remember at election time. And if you do remember, you won't remember enough to care very much. Why did God give all of the feasts and celebrations to Israel? Because he didn't want them to forget the very nature of the Passover celebration was geared to help Israel remember the redemption of God out of Egypt. Why does God give to us as New Testament believers the communion service? It isn't so that you can have some dynamic relationship with God. It's so you don't forget. This do in remembrance of me, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He doesn't want us to forget. And I want to tell you, it takes work not to forget. When my children became Christians, one was five and one was six, I wrote the story of their conversion on a blank page in my Bible, a white sheet in my Bible. And every little while at those young ages when they would go to bed, I would read them this story about how they came to know Jesus. You know why? Because I didn't want them to forget it. And every once in a while, they would say, Daddy, read me a story. I'd say, okay, which one do you want me to read? Read me the one out of your Bible. And they weren't talking about Moses or Abraham. They were talking about how they came to know Christ. I I have dozens of nieces and nephews, and, and whenever I'm with them, they always have to have Uncle Rich tell them a story. Uh, and I always attach some kind of uh, moral or uh, logical principle to my stories. And uh, I'll say, oh, I, what shall I tell? Tell the one about when you fell in the hole. And... And so I tell that story, and, and I wind it up with reminding them that it's important to be obedient to your parents. And, and the result is we have to remember. God wants us to remember. We have to remember what Jesus has done for us. When's the last time you've actually thought through and remembered your own conversion experience? See, when we remember the impossible things that Jesus has already done, it becomes much easier to trust him for the impossible things that need to happen now. So he wants us 
to remember. I, I, uh, I think that the reason for the test is to remind uh, Philip that this is Jesus. You've been with him. You've heard him teach. You've watched him perform miracles. You've just recently, within a day probably, saw him heal a man who was lame for 38 years. And now he says, how are we going to feed these people? And you've got no idea. You might have said, Lord, I couldn't do it, but I bet you can. And sometimes that's as simple as it gets. God, I can't earn enough money to feed my family right now, but I know you can feed them. Hence, Chef Boyardee. See, tests are always around us, and God sometimes tests us. I was reading about an old blacksmith, and I want to read to you what he said. He was going through a lot of trouble at this time. There was a lot of problem going on. And he said this, you know that I'm a blacksmith and I often take a piece of iron and I put it into the fire and I bring it out white hot. Then I put it on the anvil and I strike it once or twice to see if it will take temper. If I think it will, I plunge it into the water and suddenly change the temperature. Then I put it into the fire again. And again, plunge it into the water. This I do several times. Then I put it on the anvil and I hammer it and I bend it and I rasp it and I file it. And I make it into some useful article which will be put into a carriage where it will give good service for 25 years. See, sometimes God has to hammer us and rasp us and file us. If, however, when I first strike it on the anvil, I think it will not take temper, I throw it onto the scrap heap and I sell it for half a penny a pound. Now I believe that my heavenly Father has been testing me to see if I will take temper. He has put me into the fire and into the water. I have tried to bear it just as patiently as I could. My daily prayer has been, Lord, put me into the fire if you will. Put me into the water if you think I need it. Do anything you please, Lord, only don't throw me on the scrap heap. And that ought to be the prayer of every one of us, is that let God test us. But let me constantly go back to what I know of Jesus. Remember, last week, Pastor Tom said this, where he, speaking of God, where he has been faithful in the past, there is no need for worry or doubt, and he meant in the future. And as a result, what we have to do is we have to look, we have to remember, and it takes work to remember. And sometimes we have to write things down. Sometimes we have to uh, share things with other people to remember. Let's take a look then at the tact of Christ. The seemingly impossible is overcome by Christ. Uh, here we go in the text. It says, 
Jesus said, have the people sit down. Uh, the word is anapipto, actually. It means to recline. It means to get into the eating position. Have them get into the eating position. I could. That is a word that the disciples would have recognized. You want them to get into the eating position, Lord. How are we going to do this? Now, there was much grass in the place, which makes us think this was probably spring. Carolyn and I have stood on this hillside uh, where we believe that the feeding of the 5,000 took place. And uh, I can tell you, if it's not springtime, there isn't anything but dirt and rock in Israel, uh, unless you're right down by the river where it's irrigated. And so um, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. That doesn't include the women and children, maybe eight or 10,000, maybe more. Who knows? Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he uses the word eucharisteo. Uh, 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 I, I, I have in my mind Eucharist. And that's why we call the Lord's table or the communion service, the Eucharist sometimes, is because it is us giving thanks and remembering what God has done for us. He distributed to those who were seated, likewise also the fish. Notice the words, as much as they wanted. So this wasn't any token meal. He didn't break it up in tiny little pieces and give everybody a tiny little taste. They got filled as much as they wanted, not as much as they needed, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of fragments from the five loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. 12 baskets, probably representing the 12 apostles. Some think representing the 12 tribes of Israel, but I think more likely the 12 apostles. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So what were the resources that were used? The resources that were used were simply what? was available. And with you and me, sometimes there's not much to give. Sometimes there's not a lot to offer. I will tell you that in my young years, I never in my wildest dreams thought I could be a preacher. I couldn't get up and talk in front of people. I was singular relational, very shy, would never speak in front of even a small group, let alone a large group. But uh, God took that and used it. Um, first, I wasn't very good at it, and I'm probably still not very good at it. But secondly, I hated it. Now I love it. Now it's what I do. It's what I'd rather do than anything else. I hope I can do it till I die. And so the resources have to be given to him. 
We may not have much to offer Christ, but if we give him what we possess, he can do the impossible with it. He can do the impossible with it. Then we talk about the resultant blessing. The sign pointed men to God, and they saw Jesus as the prophet who had been foretold in Deuteronomy 18.15. Now this is Moses speaking. And Moses says to the people, The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among your countrymen. So he's going to be a Jew. And you shall listen to him. And they decided at this point that prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. And they wanted him to be their king. So much so that we read in John chapter 6 verse 15 that they would have made him king by force if necessary. The sign caused the people to want him to be their king even if they had to make him king by force. Why not? This is a guy that could make food out of nothing. This is a guy that would put the economy on the, on the upward swing. This is a guy that could provide us food even if we couldn't provide it for ourselves or wouldn't provide it for ourselves or didn't want to provide it for ourselves. All we have to do is ask Jesus and he can snap his finger and there's food on the table. Why not make him king? So the prophecy is fulfilled through this miracle. So in just a moment, we're going to take communion and we're going to bring it to you and serve it to you this morning. So when you get it, hold it and, and I'll lead us in, in taking it together. But maybe this morning you want to ask yourself some questions as you take communion. Here's the first one. Do I use what I already know of Jesus? What I already know about Jesus. Can you remember a time when God blessed your socks off? Can you remember a time when God did something so great for you? Maybe you need to decide to go home and write that down and, and share it with the family. And share it with your kids and your grandkids and and read it as stories to your little kids. And do you really know what Jesus has done for you? Here's the second question. Can you trust what Jesus has already decided to do? Now, you may be in a situation or a circumstance right now. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it sounds like. I don't know what it is. But do you know that God's already got it figured out? Um, and maybe in your process of trying to solve the problem by yourself, you haven't looked to see it, what, what solution Jesus might have for it. So do you trust what Jesus has already decided to do? And finally, will you turn over your meager resources to Jesus so that he can use them to accomplish 
what he wants to in your life, in your home, in your family, in our church. Um, See, you may think that getting a new pastor here is an impossibility. Maybe you're there. But you know what? I've seen it happen so many times, and I've seen miraculous things happen with pastors who come to churches and churches who call pastors. And the result is, I'm just going to trust Jesus to make that happen. He's got it figured out. He knows what he wants to do. So when you take communion this morning, ask yourself, what do I know and what do I believe about what Jesus has already done for me? Let's pray together. Father, this is an incredible miracle. I guess I would have loved to have been there on that day. The fact is, we forget so easily, Father. The fact is, um, our forgetfulness causes us trouble so much of the time. And, Father, we come to you today and we want to remember. Maybe for some of us, Father, today is the day for us to remember that day, that moment when we gave ourselves to you, when you came into our lives and redeemed us, where we first accepted the gospel. Maybe that's a good thing for us to remember today. So, Father, thank you for the beauty of this miracle. Thank you for the test that you gave to Philip. Thank you for the tests that you give to us. Make us strong. Teach us. Grow us. So that we, Father, are able to respond to the tests in ways that bring glory to you. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.